Well, this morning we're going to be back in Colossians uh, chapter 1. And I know it seems like we've been in chapter 1 for a long time. Uh, next week, we will finally finish chapter 1. And I promise uh, the rest of Colossians flies by. Uh, there's a lot of information in, in Colossians chapter 1 that we just couldn't rush through in order to get, uh, to get the full picture. So um, we're going to spend a whole lot of time. In fact, we're gonna, we spend as much time in chapter 1 as we're going to spend in the last three chapters combined. So once we finish up through chapter 1, it's going to move pretty quick. Um, this morning, we're going to be in verses 24 and 25. Um, and we've talked so far about uh, the church at Colossae that, uh, that Paul had probably never been there. He's writing this letter from prison or a house arrest, probably from Rome. Um, while he's there, he meets Epaphras, who is... Uh, one of the founding members, maybe the pastor of the church there at Colossae, and then Onesimus, who is a runaway slave. And we hear more about Onesimus in the book of Philemon. We talk about how Philemon was a member of the church there at Colossae. Um, he tells us that, he's, that he prays for them regularly, regularly, and then in the middle of his prayer, he breaks out in praise. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Then last week, um, he laid out the very basics of the gospel. Uh, we talked about the difference between being alienated from God or reconciled to God and how those are the only two options that are available to us. This morning, the title is Gospel Sufferings. Um, and this is, this is why I preach the way I do, going through a book of the Bible, because it forces me to preach on some topics that I wouldn't otherwise preach on. For instance, if I was just pulling some stuff out of the air, more than likely, I wouldn't be going, now what do I need to preach on? I know, let's talk about suffering. That sounds like a fun topic to, to touch on. But that's what doing this kind of preaching forces us to do. It forces us to go um, where the text takes us. Okay? So if the text talks about suffering, we've got to talk about suffering. And that is where we find ourselves this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says this, um, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, your word will speak, even in a difficult topic like this as we talk about suffering. Uh, it's not a fun topic. It's not a particularly easy topic to discuss, uh, but I pray that your word will be made known this morning, that, that we would have a proper view of suffering, um, that we might rejoice even in the midst of that. We ask all this in your name. Amen. I'm going to scoot myself out. I don't want to get too close to those candles. That, that would make church interesting in a hurry, wouldn't it? All of a sudden, my shirt caught on fire. All right, so um, we, we need to have a proper view of suffering. Um, I'm afraid that in our world today, in our church culture, we have an idea that's a lot like Job's friends when it comes to suffering. Meaning that the idea in Job's day was that if you are righteous, if you are good, good things happen to you. If you are 
bad, if you are evil, bad things happen to you. Um, almost kind of this idea of, um, almost this idea of karma, right? That, that what goes around comes around. And I'm afraid that that's how uh, our world in particular, uh, but I'm afraid even the church views things. That if you are a good person, if you live a good life, then good things are going to happen to you. And the problem today is that there's a whole gospel that's really preached that centers around this idea that if you just have faith in God, um, everything will go well for you. You will be rich, you will be healthy, and uh, really you won't have any problems to speak of. The problem with that is that all throughout Scripture, we see people who served God faithfully whose lives fell apart. Um, for instance, we mentioned Job while ago. Take Job as an example. Job suffers because he is righteous, right? Satan, and, and this is, if you think about it, this is really kind of disturbing the way this works. Satan apparently um, somehow has access to God's throne in the story, right? He, he goes to God, and uh, God says, hey, what's up? He said, I've been searching all over the world, you know, roaming through the world, making trouble of things. And who brings up Job? It's not Satan that does it, it's God. You seen Job? Remember what Satan says? Oh, of course he's going to praise you. You've given him everything. You, you, you've, you've, made, you've given him a life of luxury, right? He's happy. He's got, his, he's got his family there. Everything's okay. And God says, all right, have at it. Destroy everything he owns. You can destroy his family only don't touch him. Right? God's the one who brings Job to Satan's attention, and Job suffers because of his righteousness. So all, and, and we see that all throughout the Bible, that righteous people suffer. The prophets who proclaimed the message of God, generally, things did not go well for them, right? Um, if you go back and read, uh, the prophets had to do some really crazy things. Like, God called them just to do some weird stuff. And because of that, people kind of looked at them and were like, are you nuts? Like, we really think you might be off your rocker. And, and... In fact, they were even killed because they were faithful. You look at the disciples. Followed Christ faithfully, faithfully proclaimed the gospel, and all but one of them suffered a martyr's death. John's the only one who didn't, and it wasn't because they didn't try. They boiled him in oil, and it didn't kill him. So they thought he was like demon-possessed, right? So they exile him to this island called Patmos, which is where he then writes the Revelation. This idea of the of this health and wealth gospel that you come to Jesus and have faith and, and life goes great for you is not presented here. What we see is that people surrender their lives to God, they choose to serve Him, and life gets difficult because of that choice. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is Paul's uh, sufferings. Let's look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Let's stop there. Typically, rejoicing and suffering are not two things that we see paired together in our world, right? Um, now, I, th I think we need to we need to talk the difference, and we, we've talked this in the last couple of weeks. We need to talk again the difference between joy and happiness. Um, and this is where the confusion hits. I don't think he was um, ecstatic to be suffering, like. In those, in those times when Paul's life was going smooth, I don't think he was going, 
man, I wish I was in prison. You know, I sure, I sure wish they would tie me up and give me 39 lashes just one more time. It was a great experience. I don't think that's what he's saying, but rather, because he's suffering for the gospel's sake, he's able to look at that and say, uh, this brings me joy because I am serving God, and I know wholeheartedly that I'm serving God, and these are the results. These are, this is what serving God has brought me, and it brings me joy to serve Him even in the midst of suffering. Um, Philippians 4.4, 4, of course, Philippians, he also writes uh, probably another time when he's at prison, not at, not at this time in Rome, but another time, Philippians 4.4, 4, uh, it's a song, in fact, it was made into a song, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You've got to understand he's writing that from prison, right? Is that the idea we have when we sing that song? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, right? And, and, and we're going to see in a minute, um, his joy in prison uh, shook things up in, within the prison. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that story in a minute. Okay? And, and then we go on uh, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So he's, he's saying I rejoice um, in my sufferings for... Uh, he's saying basically I'm suffering for you. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that because he's going he's gonna to circle back around to that. Then we get to this very difficult spot here. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, if we're not careful, we can read that as somehow Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient and didn't take care of the punishment, so now we've got to endure punishment for sins. Um, The problem with that is that the word that's used here that's translated for us in English, afflictions, is nowhere in the New Testament used to refer to Christ's death on the cross. Um, So, he's not saying that Christ's suffering was somehow inadequate, okay? In fact, uh, the Bible makes very clear that Christ's death paid the penalty once and for all. Uh, We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to turn back there with me. Uh, If you don't want to turn there, at least jot it down, because this this is an important one. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Okay? So that kind of puts the nail in the coffin that somehow Christ's suffering wasn't enough to pay for sins and you've got to uh, then, after you're a Christian, you've got to still somehow suffer to pay for your sins. That puts it in there. A single offering covered all for those who are being sanctified. So what's he talking about then with our afflictions? Um, this, this word that's used for afflictions is the Greek word flipsis. And it can mean, it means distress, pressure, or trouble. I'm filling up distress. I'm filling up the pressure. I'm filling up the trouble. And and here's what we see throughout the New Testament. There is a suffering that occurs because people have chosen to put their faith in Christ. Um, Jesus put it this way. 
Um, the world hates you. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If we, if we, just like we talked about last week in the gospel, if the world is alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, then that means that the world is bent against God and the things of God. So those of us then who are hidden uh, with God in Christ are not of this world anymore, which means if we are a part of God's family, that puts us at odds with the world, right? And, and as we've seen, the world is scared of that which it doesn't understand, right? And, and so there is suffering that comes in this world because we are not of this world. Um, and, and honestly, probably no one knew suffering better than Paul. Uh, we're going to be back in 2 Corinthians now. So if you want to turn back there, you can or, or write it down. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. Um, and so we see here when ta- Paul talks about rejoicing and suffering, he's not somebody who just writes this. He knows what it is to suffer. Um, and this is Paul sharing with the, uh, with the Corinthians uh, his suffering testimony. Five times... Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. The general belief was that forty lashes would kill a man, so they sentenced them to thirty-nine lashes. All right? They wanted to beat them to death's doorstep. Um, uh, verse 26, 25. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. These are what Paul went through to spread the gospel. Five times he was beaten with rods. Five times he was sentenced to um, being uh, beaten with a cat of nine tails, uh, being whipped to death's doorstep. Uh, I mean, just look at that. Danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, from Gentiles. So he was in danger from Jews and from Gentiles. That kind of covers the gamut, doesn't it? That's like everybody. I was in danger in the city. I was in danger in the wilderness. I was shipwrecked. Three times. Three times he was shipwrecked. I think I would have said, I'm not getting on another ship. All right, that's, that's not happening. But because he was so committed to the gospel, he endured these things. Why? Just, just think about that. Why? Why would he keep doing that? How is it that this gospel is so important that he would keep subjecting himself to it? He lays it out a little bit in Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11. It says this, That I may know Him, speaking of Christ, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I rejoice in my suffering. Because I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's troubles. Um, as we already said, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was enough. That paid for sin. 
It did not, he did not, however, take all the suffering and all the pain out of the world. So there's still suffering, there's still pain. And, and we're called to be like Jesus, right? So wouldn't that then translate to if Christ suffered, if Christ um, was rejected of men and punished for what he proclaimed, we would then also be rejected of men. And Paul says, this is the great thing about suffering, when we suffer. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him. So through suffering, we become more like Christ. Um, Now, Paul and, and the Jews had this view of the world that, um, that sort of split up world history or splits up world history into two eras. This present era, this present age, which is evil, and then the age to come. Um, now, when Paul becomes a believer, what he realizes is that when Christ was crucified and buried, that ushered in this, this age to come while at the same time we still live in this present era. And so what we have is that the kingdom of God has come into the fallen world so that the age to come where everything will be renewed, right? The end of the book of Revelation, uh, all things will be restored to the way that God created them. That's happening. Things are already being restored in the middle of the fallen world. And so what we have is that this this age to come is already and at the same time not yet. Does that make sense? That it's happening now. And so what we have going on in, in the moment is the fallen world warring against this, uh, this new age, this age to come where all things will be restored. And so, so things are in the process now through uh, Christ's reconciliation on the cross. Things are be in the process of being restored until the time when Christ comes again and everything is fully restored and this present evil age is finally put to death once for all. So what we have is this world warring against um, the kingdom of God. Now here's the good news, and this is what should allow us to have to rejoice in the sufferings, that we know how the story ends, right? We know that in the end Christ returns and puts death to death. We know that that's coming. In the meantime, we've got to put our hope and faith and trust in Christ. We, we know that we win in the end. If, if we were in a war, we knew that victory was for sure. Wouldn't that encourage us to fight a little more? If we knew that victory was certain. That's, that's kind of the way the Bible puts it, that that we're in a war against Satan. And the outcome has been decided. So as Paul says, I press on. I know how this ends. That gives me faith. Uh, Back to Colossians. The the next thing that he says, he talks about um, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of, of his body, that is, the church. 
uh, the Bible is very clear that when we as believers suffer, Christ suffers with us. Um, case in point, Acts chapter 9, when Paul is on the road to Damascus and he sees the blinding light, he is, and his conversion happens. The voice uh, of Christ that speaks to him says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting Christians? What does it say? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul didn't, and Saul didn't get it right then, right? Uh, he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So as his body suffers, Christ suffers along with it. Okay? Um, and so Paul says that he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. There's almost this idea that, that Paul realizes as he is suffering, maybe he can take on himself some of um, the persecution that would otherwise be leveled at the rest of the church. And so it's like he's in prison saying, look, I'm happy to be here because if I'm here, maybe that means that you don't have to be yet. And as we see throughout the New Testament, uh, persecution just breaks out. Um, right after Stephen, um, the persecution just spreads. And, and as we've talked about before, that causes the believers to run literally for their lives. And as they're running, they tell others about Jesus. And the gospel explodes throughout the kingdom because of persecution. Uh, we have another example of that here in just a minute. Um, so Paul is is suffering on behalf of the believers, not a um, not like Christ suffered, not in place of their forgiveness of sins, but he's taking on some of the persecution for himself so that maybe um, he can spare the church for a little while. I'm go to verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Um, a huge part of Paul's ministry was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he's told that from up front. Uh, back in Acts chapter 9 again, when um, the Lord goes to and speaks to Ananias and, and says, um, hey, you know Saul who's been persecuting the church? And Ananias is like, yes, everyone knows Saul. Um, something just happened. I need you to go find him. And Ananias says, um, you got the right Saul? Are we talking about the same guy? This is the guy who's trying to throw us all in jail, right? And he, he understands that then that Saul has been saved, and he says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Told that right after conversion, right after he becomes a believer in Christ, Ananias, the person who disciples Saul, is told, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Um, but, here's, and here's the great thing. We've talked about how suffering advances the gospel. And in Paul's case, uh, that was also very true. In Acts chapter 16, uh, if, you, if you can, turn there. Um, starting in verse 25. This is Paul and Silas in jail, in prison, in Philippi. It says this. About midnight, 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Look at this. Paul is in prison. Paul and Silas are in prison. They start singing praises to God. All of a sudden, um, doors open, shackles fall off. And they stay there. I've got to be honest. If I'm in prison and the walls fall down, I am not staying there. Right? Uh, just Let me tell you, I'm out of there as soon as possible. Paul and Silas stay. Because of their suffering, because they were put in prison for preaching the gospel, this man and his family were saved. Suffering advances the gospel. Some of the places today where the church is exploding are places where it is illegal to be a Christian. China is still a place that is, while not officially closed to Christianity, still very hostile to Christianity. Uh, The only churches that are allowed there are the government-sanctioned churches, um, which the last that I understood, they also... um, where the government was the ones to distribute the Bibles, um, which may be edited to say what the government wants them to say. And so for believers to go and to spread this word of God is an illegal activity, and the church is exploding in China. Now, I want to touch real quick because we often think that suffering is external. Um, When we think suffering, we think persecution. Um, And we're not supposed to suffer for our faith here in America, right? This is supposed to be a place that's open. Let me tell you, I see that more and more in the years coming, Christians who proclaim this loudly and unashamedly are going to, to increasingly suffer. I read a, uh, a news story just this last week of a church, um, not even a church, a really more like a home group in, um, I believe it was Arizona, but I'm not 100% sure, that said these people were told they had to stop having Bible studies in their homes because... In order to do so, in order to have that that many people at their home constituted a church, and they had to be zoned for a church building. Inspectors came in. They said, this is not up to code for a church. Uh, it's not handicap accessible. You, you must cease having meetings in your home. In fact, the, uh, the leader of that group spent some time in jail before violating these codes. becoming more and more a hate crime to preach what this says. 
and it's not going to get better. Now, we, that's, that's the first kind of suffering. Um, this external. I do something, I'm going to be persecuted for the gospel. The second kind of suffering is internal. Health issues. Um, again, this is, this is where the health and wealth gospel falls apart. Um, folks who have taken care of themselves their whole life are in excellent physical condition and suddenly develop cancer. What do you do with that? I believe the Bible would say that is an opportunity for you to proclaim the gospel through your suffering. Paul knew that, right? Talks about his thorn in the flesh. So to keep, this is in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. We don't know exactly what that is. Maybe it's some sort of physical limitation. But Paul says, if you remember, I prayed three times for the Lord to take it away. I begged him, pleaded with him, Lord, remove this from me. And do you remember God's response to that? No. Because my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. I've seen, and perhaps you, you have too, so many men and women of God suffer things in this world that, that are just unimaginable. And the question is always asked, why would God allow that to happen to them? If my understanding of the gospel is, is correct, God allows things to happen to us so that we might Proclaim his greatness. I pray that you're spared cancer. I pray that you're spared physical illness. But in a room this size, the, the reality is that some of us are not going to be. So let me tell you, when that comes is an opportunity for you to rejoice in suffering. To remember that sometimes God allows things to happen to remind us that we're not God and we're not in control. Um, it's the other kind of suffering, internal. And I believe that's... Every much, just as much suffering as external, as being thrown in prison for your faith, I believe that, that suffering physical ailments and, and illnesses and loss is a chance for us to proclaim the gospel through that. Um, and as I said, it reminds us that we're not in control. Uh, one of the big talks lately is, is the fiscal cliff. And I'll be real honest, I don't understand what all that means. I know it doesn't sound good, uh, right? Typically, if you talk about going off a cliff, things don't end well, right? Like, I don't remember anyone's story who said, oh, I just went off the cliff and lived happily ever after, right? So I don't understand exactly what all that means and, and how that's all going to work. But I know this, you and I don't really have control over that, right? What's going to happen to our economy 
is, is going to happen pretty much irregardless of, of you and I. And, and so, you know, whether we're, whether we're headed towards another depression, which I, I pray that God spares us of that, um, or, or whatever happens, um, as we've seen in these last few years where the, the financial hardship has hit, I hope if nothing more, that's reminded believers that our security's not here. It's elsewhere. Um, you know, now look, I have a retirement fund that I put into every month um, so that when, you know, I'm an old surly preacher and can't walk anymore and can't talk anymore, I, I have something to live on. Um, but that's not where my security is because at this point I'm well aware that it may or may not be there when, uh, 40 years from now when, when that time comes. Suffering reminds us we're not in control. That we can't be. As I said, people who've taken care of themselves their whole lives. I've seen uh, men and women who are in the best shape of their lives when cancer develops. It, you don't necessarily have control over that. Now, it doesn't mean I think we should just throw all health precautions out the window, right? <laughs> Where's asbestos? <laughs> right? that, that's, I don't think that's what we need to do. We need to take care of ourselves. But ultimately, you're not in control. Suffering's reality, folks. It's not one that we like to talk about because it's not real uh, warm and fuzzy, right? It doesn't make us feel necessarily all that good. But in hardships, whether they be external or internal, whether you're thrown in prison for proclaiming the gospel or facing death because you proclaim the gospel, or whether it's simply just a daily suffering, a daily fight against temptation, suffering is reality for believers. And it's going to be, and if you read the Bible, Matthew, especially chapter 24, seems to point to that things in our world are going to get a whole lot worse before Christ shows up. This is something that we've got to understand. And the Bible tells us about it. From, from the very beginning, it says, um, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The end... In closing, let me, let me close with this passage. This is in Romans chapter 8. In the end, this is the bottom line. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is always worth it. Whether you choose to make the gospel known through a physical ailment or a physical limitation, a handicap, a, a, um, a sickness that you may have, or whether you proclaim the gospel and because of that you experience suffering, it's always worth it worth it. Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 25. Again, this is Paul writing. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits, eager, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage 
to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not that is seen, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 18, I think, is key for us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We know how this ends. We know that we win. May you suffer in the gospel. And may through our personal sufferings, may God be glorified in us and through us, making known his love, his power, his grace, his mercy to the world around us. Let's pray together. Father, this is a difficult text. Not, not a fun topic to talk about. Not a fun reality to realize that we will suffer. But Father, let us realize along with Paul that anything we suffer in this life is not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. God, I pray this morning that you will raise up people who are willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Lord, you know that our country is in a mess. Our world's in a mess. Um, and God, we seem to understand from the Bible that things just are going to get worse until, um, until you come back. God, give us endurance. Not only endurance, we pray for joy in the midst of suffering, that we would um, be people who consider it an honor and a privilege that you would consider us worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And because of that, may the gospel just explode as it does in so many areas where persecution occurs. We thank you and praise you for who you are and for your son, Jesus Christ, who took the ultimate uh, pain, the ultimate suffering for us so that we can be reconciled to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.